Hello, and welcome to the Tyndale Insider Podcast. On today's episode, Senior Communication Manager Sharon Levitt from the Tyndale Momentum Team talks with author Sherry Lowe about her new book, Slaying the Debt Dragon, available January 2015. For more information, visit Tyndale.com. This is Sharon Lovett of the Tyndale Momentum Book Team at Tyndale House Publishers. I'm talking today with author Sherry Lowe about her upcoming book, Slaying the Debt Dragon, How One Family Conquered Their Money Monster and Found an Inspired Happily Ever After. Slaying the Debt Dragon will be available to readers in January 2015. Sherry is a first-time author but has been spreading the good news about living with financial freedom since 2008 with her website and blog, queenoffree.net, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, Sherry's on it. Sherry also has a weekly column in her local newspaper, and she's on television each week with station WTHR, the NBC affiliate in Indianapolis. So... Welcome, Sherry. Thank you, Sharon. It's so good to be here with you today. Well, it's always fun to be with you. You may be the queen of free, but you are also the queen of enthusiasm and fun. (laughs) So it really is fun to be with you. And we are really excited about your book and just want others to be able to hear why this is a book that they need. Maybe there's people out there that don't even have debt right now thankfully, but they are looking for ways to be good managers of their money. And your book is so much more than just uh, getting out of the debt. But I think what I'd like to do to start this time is for you just to tell us a little bit about your family's journey uh, from where you started and where you are now. Could you do that? Yeah, certainly. So I always joke that our story is more fairly ordinary than fairy tale. Um, (laughs) You know, we embarked on our journey together as a family after doing what I think most people would classify as the appropriate grown-up things to do. So my husband and I both went to college, we got degrees, um, and we got married a little bit young at 22, and then embarked on a journey of serving in ministry as well as professionally, and eventually had our first daughter. And so we did a lot of those things that people would just think are regular, growing up, becoming an adult sort of things without really thinking too much um, about our finances. Um, And we, you know, live in the Indianapolis area, and I've lived in Indiana most of my life, so I'm definitely a Midwest gal. But why I wrote this book, and probably the most significant part of our story was that we set out on a journey in 2008 to pay off all of our debt, which was kind of huge, and um, about four years later, ended up standing on the other side of $127,482.30. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) that is quite an accomplishment. And You know, it's an accomplishment, but I always remind people, in order for it to be an accomplishment, there came $127,482.30 
mistakes first. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I always hold that number out there with both a source of excitement, but also a realization that, wow, we made some crazy mistakes to find ourselves in that place. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is one of the things that I really love about your message that, uh, and that is that you're not dictating it's this, this is the way to do it and, you know, buckle up and get going, but you, you bring real hope and humility and encouragement um, to the reader, and that is very refreshing. Um, when you wrote this book, who, who did you have in mind? You know, I was thinking of individuals and married couples and even families who feel hopeless about their finances and who might even feel like they're the only ones. Mm. Because I think one of the lies that we believed early on was that everybody else knew what they were doing when it came to finances. Nobody else struggled this way. Nobody else felt so stressed. Nobody mm -hmm. else felt so overwhelmed or guilty or shameful. Mm -hmm. And so I really, as I penned these words, wanted to provide a source of hope and a source of community to say to um, people who felt similarly, you know what, I know what it feels like. And um, I just really want to combat that lie that the enemy puts forth mm -hmm. that you're alone and you're the only one who's a screw-up because that's just not true. We all know it's not true on a gut level, but since especially finance is so personal mm -hmm. and rarely do we bring it up or talk about it or rarely do we open up with somebody who lives you know, next door or sits next to us in the pew, hey, guess what, I've got over $100,000 worth of debt. Um, it's just not something we talk about. We're not comfortable with it, and um, we do have some of those feelings of guilt and shame a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's who I had in mind. Hmm. So then I'm thinking one of the main benefits is that you put some light on the situation in a positive way um, by exposing that the lies, that you are the only one, yes. and the shame that comes with that. Um, yeah, I definitely hope that people will gain the inspiration and, and draw from that. And then at the same time, I hope that I provide some practical tips. So not just the voice crying out in the wilderness, you're mm -hmm. not the only one, you're not alone, mm -hmm. but also now what, you know, mm -hmm. so what's next? And, and so whether that is helping people learn how to budget for the very first time mm -hmm. Or telling them, hey, this is what it looks like to throw a birthday party for your child when you're paying off all of your debt. Or this mm -hmm. is what it looks like to connect with your spouse outside the context or the concept of a traditional date where you need to drop $50, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and probably the last benefit or what I hope at least some people gain from it is a little bit of laughter mm -hmm. because so much of finance is so, you know, serious business mm -hmm. and um, snooty pants and so I'm hoping that with a little bit of humor that people will relax their guard and be able to really open up and dive into their own finances by you know learning from my mistakes. Yeah I, I really appreciated the humor in it to get yourself to laugh and um, <laughs> you know that this isn't the end you know the and yet and yet I thought it was a real interesting and um, affirming when you addressed that there is a grieving process 
when you when you, you know, begin to embark on the journey. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. You know, that is a great question. And it's probably something that I didn't contemplate as deeply until we were about six months into the journey. But I began to really struggle with some guilt and shame of wondering how in the world did we end up in this place where we had so much debt. Because as I mentioned before, we were both college graduates. We were not stupid people by any means. And I had been walking with the Lord since I was like three years old. Mm. And so I had heard hundreds, if not over a thousand sermons on managing your money well and being a good steward, although I'm not sure I really grasped what that word meant. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to a Christian college, and I even worked on staff at a church. And so, you know, I felt like, oh, my goodness, I had no excuse to wind up in this place. And that caused me to feel pretty horrible about myself and and about where our family was at. And um, there certainly were some steps that I dove into to seek forgiveness from God from not managing my resources very well so that I could really launch into this journey and pay attention um, to what I was doing. Because having that guilt and shame, um, conviction is one thing. Conviction leads us to change. But Mm -hmm. guilt and shame keeps us stuck in the same pattern forever. And so, you know, leaning into that and saying, God, I give this to you, and I'm sorry, and I want to do better. And so that was definitely part of the process. And I don't think a lot of people think about that Mm -hmm. when they think about finances, right? They just think about ledgers and numbers Mm -hmm. and let's get after it, which is important too. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you can't move beyond that guilt, shame, and feeling Mm -hmm. of hopelessness and aloneness, that you'll never really Mm -hmm. get started. Yeah, and, you know, just to uh, take it a step further, I'm just curious for, uh, I think that readers would like to hear, since you've talked so plainly about this and so transparently, that when you did go to God and uh, repent and tell him, you know, you were sorry, was there some kind of sense of relief and pleasure from that you sensed from God that, okay, I forgive you and, and go on? Yes, definitely relief. And more than that, um, a calming sense of, you know what, I am right there Ooh. with you in the midst okay. of this, and I am for you. Yeah. And I needed that yes. reassurance. And, you know, beyond that, it's going to be okay. You yeah. know, I know it feels scary right now, mm-hmm. and I know it feels like, um, you know, control is an illusion always, but it feels out of control. And so just that overwhelming calm of his presence and saying, you know what, I have a plan even in this situation. And, you know, that that brings up another point about your book is that um, God is in this book. And it is for a believer in particular, um, this book would be very uh, encouraging and for the non-believer too somebody who's just you know God is there but um, there's so much practicality in the book and encouragement that anybody can uh, benefit from it but for somebody who does believe it's nice to be reminded that God is right there with you in it and cheering you on um, you know you talked about um, 
the the greatest obstacle. I was wondering what the greatest obstacle is. I think we talked about that. Is it just that sense of being alone? I mean, you know, I'm thinking, you know, um, we look at our MasterCard and we see, you know, what we owe and it is just overwhelming and I'm the only one. Is So you know there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Is that the thing that keeps you stuck? Because you know you need to do something about it, but you just, you're immobilized. Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. We know that change hurts. You know, every time you try to start a new pattern of behavior, whether that's how you spend your money or it's your pursuit of fitness and, you know, nutrition or if it's the way you raise your kids, mm -hmm. every time there's a change, that's painful. Change mm -hmm. is painful usually in some way. And so I think that not only that idea of, you know, I feel and I feel guilty, but added to that, living differently is going probably to bring some pain with it. And so I think that also makes us stay in the same pattern sometimes because we don't want to suffer that pain. But I think the good news is that, that pain is so temporary mm -hmm. compared mm -hmm. to the benefits mm -hmm. on the other side of it. And so I'm very blatantly honest throughout the book that there were times in the journey that were not fun for me. And there were times where I thought I would much rather pull out a credit card and go and have fun, you know, <laughs> go and spend plenty of money instead of paying off debt. But that temporary pain of making a sacrifice is so worth it, but I think we're scared of it sometimes. Yeah, that makes sense, but I do want to touch on what you just said about how it is so temporary, because yes. even though it took you four years to pay off that debt, which right. is really fast, but still right. it's four years. So I'm thinking yeah. that there were lots of little lights along the way that started pretty quickly. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. So I always tell people when I begin to list out some of the sacrifices, sacrifices that we made or some of the changes that we made to keep in mind that they didn't all happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I woke up on day one and said, I'm going to quit spending everything forever. You know, So yeah. we started with small sustainable changes, and I talk more specifically about that in the book. But then after we had a sustainable change in place for a period of time, then we added another change on top of that. Mm -hmm. So there were things in year four that if you had told me in year one, oh, by the way, you're going to make mm -hmm. your own laundry detergent, or you're going to give up meat for six months, I would have said, that is what crazy people do. And so I'm sure to anyone to hear me just list out a whole bunch of things that we did might terrify them. <laughs> but keep in mind that those changes are small, they were made over time, and they were intentional choices. And the further into our journey that we got, the more we saw God granting us favor and blessing our efforts, the more we were willing to give up as well. And so I did say four years. When we did the original numbers, we thought it would take us 15. Mm. Um, and that was daunting at best and, and terrifying at worst. And so that was kind of crazy. But probably the first thing that we yeah. did right off the bat was to, with 
um, adjust my husband's withholdings at work, which freed up just a little bit extra cash for us. It meant that we would not get a refund next year in the tax season. And we also saved up um, an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. And um, if that sounds familiar to some of the listeners who follow financial, personal finance wisdom, they'll probably recognize that as part of Dave Ramsey's suggestions for starting your plan. Um, and we did both of those things relatively quickly. When we built our emergency fund, it was kind of hilarious because we did everything from digging through our car for change to finding, like, old broken jewelry to sell. And we, you know, used Christmas money and birthday money, all, anything that we could find everywhere. We were looking for money everywhere we went around our house. It was almost like a treasure hunt to build that emergency fund. And it's so, so, so important because – I don't know how many times we emptied that thing and then mm. refilled it. It's not a question of whether or not bad things will happen, but when. Mm-hmm. And we definitely, you know, we paid for a child's braces. I had a root canal, which was no mm-hmm. fun and expensive. Mm-hmm. We had a water heater blow up and a car die. So there were plenty of crazy things that happened that definitely could have thrown us off track if we hadn't had that emergency fund to draw from. But those are kind of the first steps. And then, like I mentioned, as time progressed, I really got intentional about learning everything I could about saving money. So if I thought coupons would help me save money, then I did tons of research on coupons. I went through each and every utility bill that we received and looked at the charges really carefully because I'd been paying those and just never really paying attention to anything and began asking questions like, is that the best that we can do? And if the answer was, you know, no, then I wanted to pursue other options. And so certainly things like most people consider we stopped eating out as frequently and we stopped um, vacationing and we cut the cable, things that most people would regard as normal standards to trend back. But those are definitely some slightly offbeat things that we did as well. Okay. Well, I do want to hear about that later, but I also want to know, what was one of the first thing that you can remember on the journey when you went, okay, I think we're getting somewhere? (laughs) Well, I think, you know, we paid off some smaller debt early on, and we had some success, and we were both thankful for that. Um, And then, ironically, about five months in, I think we had rolled up um, in our amount to about $600, between five and $600 that we were putting toward debt in addition to the regular payments at that time. So, you know, that's a pretty quick move in mm-hmm. four or five months' time to find that much money and free up that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that came from paying off some smaller debts that had regular payments, and then we were able to move it toward the next bigger debt. But Um, At that time, I really began to feel God calling me to stay home, Mm. and um, I was working part-time for a church. I had a job I loved, and I loved the community where I was leading, and I loved, um, I worked in family ministry, and so I loved working with families, but I began to realize that um, I was probably spending more by working than what I was making, and Mm. I crunched those numbers to see you know, would it be possible for me to stay home? And uh, it was almost to the penny, the amount that we were putting toward debt. Mm. And so I think it was it was an aha moment, and, like, we really hadn't paid attention to how much we had moved in that short period of time, but also a deep sigh of relief, like, you know what, we can still make the minimums, 
we've made up this much ground already. Um, this is something that we can do. And so it was a both a mixed blessing because I thought, this is awesome. We're definitely going to be able to do this. And then this is horrible. We're squaring out back to the beginning again and starting all over basically mm-hmm. with just the minimum. But it was definitely a moment where I realized that God had really started to provide for us in ways that we had not anticipated. Oh, that had to be real joy, though, honestly. Mm-hmm. Just um, to know that all of our needs were met. You yeah. know, we weren't going to have to go further in debt for me to be able to stay home. Yeah. You know, one of the things that is part of who you are and comes through in the book is your humor. And also, as I hear you talking about your journey, it almost seems like there there was a little bit of a playfulness, like a game of it, which comes across in the title, you know, even the title. Can you talk about Talk about that. It, you know, it sounds like, okay, that, you know, first you started to think, well, maybe coupons will work, and then you researched that, and it almost is like, uh, seemed to be a competition to see how right. much you could really do and do it well. And then you got your title of your book, Slaying the Debt Dragon. So mm-hmm. the debt dragon, what is the debt dragon? Yeah. How does that play yeah. out? So I am definitely a competitor, and so is my husband. We have had some nasty games of Trivial Pursuit in the past where we play each other because we both like to win. And I think that definitely fed into our journey. We were going to make this a game, and so that meant mm-hmm. – that if I came in $2.03 under what we had budgeted for the light bill, I was going to put $2.03 towards our debt repayment. Mm-hmm. You know, every penny that I found or every penny that I saved when we went to the grocery store, that money was given marching orders. It was sent out towards the debt. And then midway through our journey, we began to call our debt a dragon. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of one of the unique features of the book, but we chose to personify our debt and really to see it as an enemy, Mm -hmm. as something that was out to destroy us, to destroy our marriage, to take Mm -hmm. away our health, to take away our future, to take away the future that we could provide for our children. And when we did that, it really flipped a switch in our minds Mm -hmm. that, you know, this is not something for us to fight each other about in, in our marriage, but this is something for us to battle together. And we were going to win against that dragon. And so we did a few off-the-beaten-path sorts of things where, you know, my husband Brian wrote letters to the dragon, um, and we referred to it as an actual person, you know, and it's all in good fun. It's definitely playful. We're not crazy, I promise you. But we, you know, that's helped us fuel our journey. It helped us have a little more energy in our interactions and realize that, you know what, if we weren't proactive about this, we were going to be defeated. And that was not something that we thought God had in store for us, and that was not something that we wanted personally either. Nobody likes to lose. And so we were going to win. So we did everything that we could to beat the dragon. Well, you know, you recommend that others might consider doing that too. And as I hear you speak, it just seems like we all know that money is one of the biggest reasons people say they divorce. And it does cause conflict. And I love the idea of we're being a team against the debt rather than nitpicking at one another. And so it actually is good for your marriage to have that, I I think. Uh, The other thing I want to hit on uh, before we run out of time is 
There are benefits to children for being a debt-free household, and I'd love you to talk a little bit about that because I do think that that's another unique feature in your book uh, with all the other books talking about debt. The children, there's, there's a big help for the kids in this book. Definitely. You know, I intentionally included some of the strategies that we use not only to just bless our kids like the birthday party or Christmas, those sorts of things, but also to intentionally teach our kids about money because whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, your kids are already learning about money from you. And so even if you speak in hushed tones or even if you are only, you know, you don't have fights, but maybe you're just passive aggressive with your spouse and you say, why did you spend that, you know, mm-hmm. and they pick up on that and they gain what I call the monster under the bed syndrome. And basically it's this idea that they're going to create a reality that is much worse than what you're actually facing. And so from the get-go, we had one daughter who was an infant and another daughter who was in kindergarten. We made them part of our journey. And we said to them, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And here's how you can help. And I think that that was so empowering to them. Our one daughter obviously saw our lifestyle change dramatically. She was able to tell you the name of every restaurant on, you know, the road where we live and also what she would like to order once she was there at that age, you know, before we started our journey. And so um, she saw a lifestyle switch. Things were not the same. We did not buy as much. We did not go as much. We did not do as much. And so there was a necessary explanation on age-appropriate terms for her as to why we were doing what we were doing. But then we pulled her in, and so much of success on paying off debt hinges on setting some small goals. And once you achieve those small goals, you celebrate them. And so we would let her choose the celebration. So we would meet a small goal and we would say to her, what would you like to do to celebrate? You know, we've paid off this bill or we've paid off that. And allowing her to determine that gave her so much power in the process. And I can remember specifically, and I share this story in the book, one time at Target with her saying, you know, um, she had determined that we would go to a local water park to celebrate paying off our credit card. And there was something she wanted off of the shelf. And she said, you know, Mom, I want this, but I want to go to that water park Mm -hmm. more. And she put that toy back up on the shelf, Mm -hmm. and I kind of did the, like, parent fist pump in the air. You know, (laughs) she gets it. It's so exciting. But helping um, her understand concepts of money and even just using financial terms. So many Mm -hmm. kids don't even know the difference between debit and debt. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important one. <laughs> so, you know, just talking about money, there's this scripture in Deuteronomy that talks about teaching your children mm-hmm. along the road and in the morning when you rise and at bedtime. And so we just made it part of the constant conversation in our household. Yeah, and the benefits for them going forward, talk about that. Well, you know, going forward, they definitely understand the value of first earning money and then giving money, how to save money well, and then how to spend it, too, because money is meant to be enjoyed. And so our hopes and our goals for her is that she'll never have debt. And one of the funny stories Brian tells about our journey, she's probably in about second or third grade at the time, 
and they were on their way to buy a Mother's Day gift for me with a coupon, so they were all excited to do their thing. And she said to him as an 8-year-old, mind you, Dad, if I get married someday, the man is going to have to pay off all of his debt before he gets married. He said, because if we get married, um, before we get married, those are his student loans. But after we get married, those are our student loans. Mm. And she said, I listen, Dad. I pay attention. You know, so mm. it was a, a very chuckle sort of story. But she gets that, you know, yeah. that your your finances combine when you're married. And that can be a blessing or a curse. And so already understanding that at eight years old is something that I just kind of marvel at sometimes, mm. that she is definitely going to far exceed anything that we've ever done just because of this experience. Yeah, so you're really leaving a legacy to the world of another person, two two little people (laughs) who can really benefit the world by being Mm -hmm. debt-free. We don't have a whole lot of time. I did want to see if you could talk a little bit about the possible benefits of reading your book with others who want to be debt-free. Yes, definitely. So I think the best growth that ever happens happens in community. Mm -hmm. And it happens when we begin to open up and share our stories with one another and we begin to hear the encouragement of, me too, I've struggled Mm -hmm. with that too. Or we hear the encouragement from someone else that says, you can do it. And one of the things I did incredibly intentionally is to write some very unique and I think, again, kind of funny discussion questions that will draw people into a deeper conversation about finance. And those are in the back of the book. There's also some um, specific strategies at the end of each chapter, like now go do this. Mm -hmm. So not just a whimsical sort of, well, we did this and you should too, but here are three things concretely that you can go do right now to help put these principles into practice. But you know, I've been leading a small group since, um, oh, for about eight years now. So crazy long time. And we love our community. And I just wrote those questions with what I felt like would bring out the best stories from mm-hmm. people. You know, like, these, this is going to be a funny story. Somebody is going to have a really good story to share. Or this is going to be a, a moment where people can be really honest mm-hmm. about what's going on mm-hmm. in their life and not feel condemned or guilty you know, and, and instead saying, can you please help me? Yeah. And so I'm so probably most excited about that potential yes. of people reading the book together yeah. in a small group or community setting. Yeah, well, and you've got resources, too, in the back as well. Uh, yes, there's so a, we read and read and read while we were paying off yeah. that, and so... Our favorite books are listed in there, along yeah. with a soundtrack, because I love music, and so yeah. there are lots of freedom songs to help you get excited about being free. I just love it. Um, well, let's see. I want to ask you one. What is the craziest thing that you ever did to save money? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> there are lots of them, Sharon, so they're <laughs> hard for me to rank, and honestly, mm-hmm. because we did them, they're not very crazy to me, but they might be crazy <laughs> to other people. Um, my husband probably takes the cake on that one, and that is while we were paying off debt, he went two and a half years without eating at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So not a cup of coffee, not an ice cream cone, not a glass of water even. Mm-hmm. And he treated it like an addiction. He didn't even have something if it was free because he felt like if, you know, um, something that would harm you was free, you'd still not want to have it either. And so anyway, that's probably the one that stands 
stands out the most to most people. He didn't inflict that on us, and there's more about that part of the journey in the book as well. And actually, I kind of loved it because I was able to occasionally have a meal out and not have to take care of children the whole time. But that's definitely one that stands out to most people as being a little bit countercultural. We pawned um, some stuff one year to be able to buy our daughter a bicycle for her birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's probably another gut-wrenching mm-hmm. sort of one, but we had nothing budgeted, and we knew that we would have to, to do something. It wasn't anything that was incredibly um, sentimental toward us. Um, but it was definitely like, look around the house, what can we get rid of so that yeah. we can buy her a bicycle? Yeah, well, I I just love your book. Can you, I know you were a cheerleader in high school, and I wasn't surprised <laughs> at all when I read that, because you're the epitome of a cheerleader. I just wanted you to leave the listener uh, who might need some encouragement, some encouragement, and then you know, they're the p- person who's thinking, well, this is great for them, but we just right. have so many details. Can you just give them uh, a real cheerleader encouragement to end this sure. enter, end our time together? Sure. You know, I would long to sit down with every person who feels like that in my little yellow kitchen um, <laughs> that's bright and cheery, and I would have them sit down at the table with me, and we would have some coffee, and we just chat about life in general, and then I would look them straight in the eye and remind them that their lives have purpose. Mm-hmm. And that even um, the amount of debt that they might have doesn't keep God from loving them. And he knows already. He, he yeah. knows, you know. He counts the number of hairs on our head, and he still loves them. Mm-hmm. And he is for them, and he wants them to have victory in this area of their lives. And not only that, I would say to them personally from me that I wanted all the same things for them as well because being on the other side of debt and sharing stories of doing things like going to a college student that we know um, apartment and just filling their refrigerator because mm-hmm. we can now. Yeah. We have money to give away and how much fun yeah. it is to do things without debt. Yeah. It is fun to give. It is yeah. fun to go on vacation because you don't bring a big you know, trunk full of regret home with you. And it is fun to, you know, celebrate birthdays. All of those things are fun. And, um, but beyond that, that it is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. It is worth the sacrifice. And that I know that they are capable of taking on their debt no matter how large. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for this time. And for the listener, look for Sherry's book online, Slaying the Debt Dragon, at your favorite online retailer now. And it'll be in the stores in early January 2015. And in the meantime, be sure to check out Sherry's website, queenoffree.net, for great money-saving tips. It is a wealth of information. And for those listening before the Christmas holidays, check out Sherry's ebook, Keeping the Happy in Your Holidays 21 Ways to Save Time, Money, and Your Sanity This Christmas Season. It's available now online and priced at just $1.99. So thanks and get to the store and order Sherry's book. Bye bye now.